Good morning. This is Tommy Ray, and we're in episode 39 of Water Rights, Laws, Guns, and Money. Alex Davis was our guest in episode 35. I learned a lot and asked if I could return. She graciously agreed, and here we are. Thank you, Alex, for sitting down with us again. Thank you. It's so nice to be back. Let's start where we left off. That was with prices of water rights escalating rapidly and some farmers now viewing their water rights as their 401k plans. I've just been thinking a little bit about this as I think about anti-speculation, as I think about the need to ensure that the state of Colorado, the local governments in Colorado, the people of Colorado, including farmers, industry, environmental interests, recreational interests, all of these people who really sort of identify for us the uses that to which we put water. And, and I think the, you know, about the reason for anti-speculation is to make sure that the water resource is devoted to that use that benefits all of those people, all of us who are citizens of the state of Colorado, because it is a critical resource. It is a critical resource that cannot be replicated you can't make it. It's a natural resource. It rains or it doesn't. It snows or it doesn't. We can't make that happen. And so we have this idea that has been really deepening in our communities that I own this water and therefore it's mine and it's my 401k. Now, I'm not sure... I don't know. I just don't know whether individuals, mostly farmers, because this is an agricultural piece, whether they really thought about that as a 401k asset when, say, their grandfathers appropriated the water right. Were they thinking, oh, this is going to be my retirement account. This is how I'm going to retire is by selling this. I think they were just saying, oh, I need water in order to accomplish my business, which is growing food, and my food will then profit me, and I will make a profit, and I will be able to have a decent standard of living, and with that, I will have savings and assets that I can retire upon. Oh, I agree completely, and I think that's exactly what the farmers thought up until about maybe 15 years ago when the price of water started escalating. And then they were thinking, not my water, but my water right mm-hmm. is worth a lot of money. And and they certainly, all farmers certainly recognize that, that that water right is valuable. And it to me, it's valuable because of the growth in the state and the fact that municipalities are going to need additional water to support growth. And growth is coming. It's here. It's here. It's been here, right, for the last 10 years. We've been exploding. And one of the things that I would like to to try to make a little clearer, and, and this is just me speaking, I'm not speaking for the city of Aurora, is I don't have any problem with the farmers making money by selling the water to the cities to have a reasonable rate of return. There seems to be this idea in in some of the agricultural community representatives who 
have argued for speculation to be allowed to occur. So speculation being defined as the act by which someone buys water solely to make money on it. A buys water right. Buys water right, thank you. Buys a water right solely that they can make money on it. They're not interested in farming. They're not interested in providing water to citizens drinking water. They're not interested in necessarily in their primary motivation is to create additional profit. Absolutely. And the agricultural community representatives who are very concerned about their 401ks are also thinking that allowing hedge funds and water right investors to come in and increase the cost of water will benefit those farmers. And that's where I disagree. The farmers sell to the hedge funds. The hedge funds sell to the city. If the farmers work directly with the city, they will be well paid for their water rights. And the cities will get what they need and the farmers get what what they need. What I think the piece about this anti-speculation is this insertion of a middle person who generally is adding no value. They're not changing anything, but they're increasing the price to the cities. The farmers sometimes even get less. I would disagree in one sense Mm. in that the hedge funds are aggregating water rights. They might buy a water right that produces only 100 acre feet of consumptive use. And up and down that ditch, they could aggregate so that now they have 2,000 acre feet of consumptive use on that ditch that they can take through water court. No. They won't go through through (laughs) water court to do that. But they can sell to Aurora. And say, look, it, from our engineering analysis, it looks like we've got 2,000 acre feet. Now you've got a big enough block of water to effectively take through water court because there's a lot of transaction costs that you're not going to do with 100 acre feet. Mm. You know? and, and that's not necessarily correct. Okay. The city of Aurora does buy different blocks of water, and some are three acre feet. Some are 1,500 acre feet. Well, you don't – would you tell me, surely you don't take the three-acre feet through water court? It depends. We do – in the ditch systems in which we are – have acquired water, we will often wait until we have a certain number. But as any water attorney will tell you, there are different standards that apply to changes of water rights for over 1,000 acre feet. So I believe that most people will try to stay away from that 1,000-acre-foot number. A different standard in water court for changes greater than 1,000 acre-feet. I had not heard that. Can you explain that just a little bit? Mm, Yes, a little bit. Some time ago, the legislature passed a statute that required water quality to be considered in change cases where the amount of water being changed is greater than 1,000 acre feet. That's great. I'm so glad you explained that. I did not know that. You mentioned that you are okay with farmers making a, quote, reasonable rate of return. Farmers are not looking for a reasonable rate of return. They are looking to get as much money as possible for their water rights. If I have an antique gun that I bought 10 years ago for $100 
and the market price is now 1000 I'm going to sell it for the going rate. A reasonable rate of return might be 7%. 7% compounded on $100 for 10 years is $200. I'm not going to sell it for 200 Farmers will do the same thing. They will demand market price plus, hopefully, a little more. As we know, market prices have been rising exponentially. Where does this dramatic increase in prices end? I don't see it. Supply and demand works. With limited supply and excessive demand, there is no end in sight. As you said, we can't make water. So I'd like to address the idea that sort of I'm okay with a reasonable return. Uh, it's not for me to say what someone should get on their property. And I think the, the articulation really is this. Farmers who sell their water rights will get the most they can sell them for. The anti-speculation theory doesn't impact that at all. The anti-speculation theory does not impact how much a farmer can get for his or her water. And that's one of the uh, sort of misideas that's out there floating around that farmer A won't be able to sell their water right for maximum profit. They can. The anti-speculation piece is the middleman, the broker, the person who comes in and buys the water from the farmer at whatever the farmer's asking price is, adds 20% and sells it to the city. That's the speculation layer. So there's nothing in anti-speculation that prevents any farmer from selling their water right for as much as they can get for it. And I think that's important for farmers to understand. I heard exactly what you said. An investor comes in, and frankly, they may ask for more than a 20% return. They could ask for a 100% rate of return. Absolutely. And that's what you're fearing, is you don't like to see that horrendous markup go to an investor. Right now, <clears throat> it's legal. For, uh, an investor can come in and buy those water rights and continue to use them, put together a water plan, which might involve him building a new reservoir, et cetera, and having a great package to sell to a city. It's all, go ahead. But I think the important piece here is that the farmer still gets to make as much money as they want on their water right. And the agricultural community right now appears to be opposing any attempt to address anti-speculation going forward. And I believe it is because they think their ability to sell their water for the highest price is somehow being curtailed. But that's not what's happening. That's not what people are trying to do at all. And so I think it's important for farmers to understand no one is asking that they take a cut in their ability to maximize the price for their water. I think that's true. But I see farmers out there saying, wait a minute, I want as much competition for my water as I can get. And, and if an investor wants to give me $100 an acre foot more than uh, Aurora or Westminster, I would, I would like that option. 
I don't know. I, I understand your argument, but I guess I understand the farmer side too, that they do want the maximum price. They do want the competition for their water. And if a third party, i.e. an investor comes in and makes a better offer, they feel like they should be able to sell it to them. Well, that's an interesting point because there's not, for the most part, this is not like the real estate market where you post your price and you post your asset and people can come in and bid on it. These types of transactions, as you know, are under the radar. They're, they're individuals talking to individuals. The transaction often happens without anybody else knowing about it. So that type of competition exists more in the abstract. If Aurora, for example, knew that Water Hedge Fund X was going to uh, bid $100 per share on a farmer's water rights, then Aurora might come in and say, oh, well, we'll bid 110 yeah. But that doesn't happen. Uh, it, it does sometimes, Alex. I have been to water auctions. Yes, absolutely right. Auctions do exist, but they are not the norm for acquisitions. They are not the norm, and you're right. It's under the radar. It's a broker out there, but I'm sure brokers that are out there representing the farmer come to the cities plus investors that they know might be in the market because that's the broker's job is to find the best price for the farmer that he can. So he will talk to cities and investors. This, this is a very confusing issue and one in which there's a whole range of attitudes. We're just talking about the issues. I appreciate your willingness to sit down and hear my side and hear other side in a civil discourse. Yeah, and, I mean, it's and, all and, about conversation. It's all about understanding, right? We need to yeah, understand. Yeah, yeah, we need to understand, and that's... Uh-huh kind of why I'm doing this. Thank you very much. What our conversations have really helped me think about and and get clarity on is this is complicated. It's complicated because it's not like the real estate market. It's not transparent. There's no standard way of acquiring or selling water rights. There's no open discourse around prices or what they should cost. In some of the markets, right? There are a number of markets in Colorado. So the CBT market, for example, very transparent, very open. You can see exactly who is buying what for how much money. Everyone knows what the rules are. It's very clear. Other acquisitions are totally not. And and so I think it's important to think about that complexity and not make really broad statements like, I can't sell my water for as much money as I want to. To me, that's not what's going on. And I wanted to correct any record that may sound like I'm telling a farmer they can't sell for what they want to. They should be able to sell for what they want to. That's not the issue. It almost sounded like you would like to see water rights prices included in the public transaction so that it would be more transparent. If you compare it to real estate, when I sell my house, that's recorded, and there's a stamp on there that you can figure out how much someone paid me for my house. And I guess I would agree with you on that point. Maybe the law should be that, hey, when you sell a water right, you have to record that price so it is transparent. Just a thought. 
And it's a good thought. It's a good thought. And bouncing off that thought, I am thinking of, from what I understand of the various water markets, say, in California and in Australia, I don't know them deeply, but they do have that level of transparency where prices are posted, bids are posted. It's very clear who's asking for what, who's selling. And so that, you know, sort of if if you're going to talk about a market-based system of selling and buying, having it be that transparent would probably benefit everybody. I would agree with that. And it would make it much easier for a farmer or a broker to determine what the market price really is. Yes. Because he would have comparative values then. Yes. Let's go to the legislature with that idea. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Who is in the market for water rights? Cities and investors? Farmers? No. Farmers have told me they can only afford to rent water for at most $200 an acre foot. Anything beyond that is uneconomic for rental water. This implies that about the most they can afford to buy water rights is somewhere near $2,000 an acre foot. And as you know, water rights, at least along the front range, are going for 10 to 30 times that amount. Farmers are not going to buy water to farm with. They might buy it as an investment, but they're not going to buy it for farm. Absolutely right. And that's part of the problem with this speculation, this idea that investors can come in solely for the purpose of increasing the price and making money that they can come in and raise the price because the only people in Colorado who are buying water are the cities and some environmental groups who are looking to keep water in the stream and the investors. The farmers can't afford it. And yet we have been spending decades and we continue to be very concerned about the loss of farmland in our state and and what that means for rural communities, what that means for local food. So if anything, I would think that many farmers would want to be careful about who can raise the price of water because we want farmers to be able to buy water. We want farmers to be able to expand their operations. So if Farmer Jones is next door to Farmer Brown and Farmer Jones tells Farmer Brown, I want to buy your water for 2000 an acre foot, <laughs> Farmer Brown's going to laugh at him. So it's a tough issue. I understand. And that was James Eklund point. He wants to keep uh, water in agriculture. From my perspective, water is going to move from agriculture to the cities over the next 10 years. I, I just don't see a way around that. Okay. Why is it important to have a user lined up before you can get a change of use of a water right? And why does the court care where the consumptive use water is moved to? Two very good questions. So in answer to the first question, the user lined up, that's the beneficial use prong of maximum utilization and anti-speculation, right? So as we discussed in the last, in our last discussion, anti-speculation in its initial form was designed to ensure that water was beneficially used. And the way that the courts were able to determine, is this water going to be beneficially used, was if you had someone who was actually using it. 
and anti-speculation was about preventing hoarding of water that was not being put to beneficial use. So that's why you need a user. Your other question is a little more complicated and interesting uh, to me, mostly because I sort of changed my position. I was one of the many attorneys arguing the High Plains case in um, 15 years ago. And the High Plains case was uh, in part thrown out on anti-speculation grounds because the applicant did not have an end user for the water that they were trying to move from the Arkansas Basin to the South Platte Basin. They had chosen as their place of use, if I recollect, most of the counties in the South Platte Basin. So their general theory of the case, and I haven't looked at it some time, was we have a water right in the Arkansas. We're going to quantify the consumptive use amount, and we're going to move that to the South Platte Basin. And that was as far as they'd gotten. They didn't have any end users. So the court said, you have no end user and you have no end place of use. This is speculative. One of the things that struck me many years later was because it's the consumptive use water that's taken out of the Arkansas. So the Arkansas River has felt that divert, that, not the diversion, but the diminishment of that consumptive use water. And in a another basin, that water becomes fully reusable, it shouldn't really matter where it's going to be used. It's fully reusable water. The law says the users in the South Platte Basin have no right to any of that water. So why should the court care where that water is going to be used? As long as transit losses are paid, as long as it can be tracked and, and followed so you can count where it is, I, I now I think who cares where the water is used as long as it's properly measured and they pay their transit losses. It shouldn't matter. High five. <laughs> <laughs> you and I agree on that issue. Uh, yeah. yeah, that we were, we're in total agreement there. And I, Alex, when I met with uh, James Eklund, he equated democracy to capitalism. Can you discuss that a little bit and get your thoughts? Yes, thank you. I think this is a very important concept to be a, to be clear on, right? We have a democratic system. Democracy is a form of government. Capitalism is an economic system. You can have an authoritarian government with a capitalist economy. You can have a democratic government or a parliamentary form of government with a non-capitalist or perhaps a, a more regulated form of economy. So the idea that democracy equals capitalism is something to be careful of. They are two separate systems that do different things. And we don't want to equate them, particularly when we're wrestling with complex problems that include governance and finance, governance and money. Those are two different elements of a problem that bring important considerations that may impact different people. So, for example, if you want to talk about water and water allocation, water is allocated by the government, and it's allocated under a government scheme that was created many, many years ago. It's an allocation scheme. It's not an economic scheme. Private property rights is more of an economic allocation, right, that comes under 
the rubric of capitalism for many people. I'm not sure that it only fits under capitalism. There are authoritarian or there are different types of economic systems where property rights still exist, but they're governed differently. And so we have in water, we have a, 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 a merging of governance and economics. And that creates complexities that make it difficult to answer to find the right solutions going forward. But in order to really dig into those, you have to remember that those are different systems and they have different purposes and they are not equal. So you can't say if we don't have capitalism, we don't have democracy. Or if we somehow infringe or regulate economic transaction through governance, that that somehow destroys capitalism. It's, that's a, it, it doesn't work that way. And it's better to take the nuance and the gray and really work with it to find good solutions. It is so true that it's a complex world. And we discussed this earlier, but we try to simplify it. So we just have to work with what we've got and do the best we can. Right. And Alex, thank you so much. Oh, go ahead. You have and something? I was going to say, in working with what we can, what you're doing by creating discourse, right? Having civil conversations where we can disagree about things and really listen to each other. That's the way we work with what we can. And I think that's, it's so important. So I really appreciate you bringing this to bear. Thank you very much, Alex. Those are kind words. And I, I'm going to continue. I, I enjoy discussion of water. Everyone needs to know as much as we can. So thank you. And as always, I like to end with us retreating to my favorite mountain stream. Let's go take a listen. See you next time.